Dave Max Cork History Matters, brought to you by Red FM. Elvira Butler of Rikus Records, it's a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you for joining me for this Cork History Matters podcast chat on the Arcadia, 1977 to 1981. Uh, a big part of your life. You, you must have been quite young at the time, Elvera. Uh, I mean, you were a Thurless student who came to UCC, who ended up the Ents officer. Um, was that all a bit of a whirlwind in and of itself, or were you very much a go-getter when you landed on Leaside? <laughs> well, um, well, I mean, I, you know, I didn't go to college at 17. It was a couple of years later, because I had tried working, first of all, I didn't like it. <laughs> kind of envied my friends who were, you know, going to college and seemed to have a, a much easier lifestyle of not having to get up for work at nine in the morning. So um, I really went to college just for something to do I and mean, kind of going through, you know, wondering what I was going to do with my life. And I thought, well, three years of college is, um, gives me a chance to not have to think for three years. I felt the exact same way. I was like, this is great. This is like temporarily pu- putting <laughs> off real life. <laughs> Somehow I managed to get exams without any problem, which was kind of, I suppose, uh, a plus. What did but you then- do? third year and um what did you do Elvera what were your subjects oh I did I suppose my, my kind of main interests were um philosophy and English and psychology like was a third because I, I did a past degree but then I was offered to do a, um, a, a master's in philosophy for some reason um, <laughs> I did English and philosophy as well by the way we we we, we must be kindred spirits <laughs> so you did much the same but they were kind of um I suppose I picked those subjects because they're sort of general, mm. you know, when it really was. Um, and it involved reading. And absolutely. I mean, <laughs> philosophy was one I thought, well, you know, if I don't read anything, it'll be kind of more original. Yeah. yeah. Somehow they liked what I did and uh, in the exams and um, asked me to do uh, a master's, um, which is very handy because it meant to do ends at the time. I, in fact, I think Cork was probably the only college that didn't have a full-time ENS officer, you know, like had sabbatical and got paid. Mm. Um, but so you had to be a student in, you know, to do ENS in Cork, like to be the ENS officer. Mm. So doing the kind of philosophy masters was a uh, handy. I never actually did it. I never, <laughs> you know, the, the, you know, the gigs became, I suppose they, became, they took over. They absolutely took over. Um, I mean, I find myself, the, my the first year, 76, um, when I was doing the, the gigs on campus. Um, well, like, could, could, well, like, can I just check? So was this at the point where you were on to do the master's? So you'd been through college for three years at this point. I had my degree and I was doing the master's. And you'd gone to college a few years later than others. So, I mean, you'd a bit of a, you know, like I found at my time in college, anybody that was a year or two older had so much more experience in their shoulders. Oh, and, you yeah. you know, so, so, and had... But just even this, this, this set the scene for me around like where there gigs happening in Cork, like rock and roll gigs or or anything alternative actually, at that I time. Mean, I mean, you know, there was an act. There were there, there was a music scene in Cork. Um, again, it's sort of I suppose almost gallery era bands. Mm. There are some very good bands like Sleepy Hollow and Sunwheel and uh, you know, but they were they're kind of blues bands, I suppose. Mm. Um, South Pole, well, they came slightly later and I worked with them. That was Declan Sinnott and Jimmy McCarthy. Mm. Um, but, you know, all those bands had sort of a long, I mean, all the, all the personnel in the bands had a lot, um, a long history. And a few of them would have played with um, with Rory, I think, you know, mm. out in the clubs in Germany, that sort of thing. Mm. There was a gig in McCurtain Street, and I can't remember the name, but there's a, there's a, 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 a basement um, club. 
where you'd get like, like Jimmy Slevin or, you know, maybe Brush Shields, those kind of bands. Mm. So, I mean, I suppose they were old established bands. I don't know if there's anything in between. Mm. Um, so, um, and then you and then you run for election to be ENTS officer when you're doing your masters and and win the election, and yeah. and what you know had you set out a you know this is what I'm going to do or were you kind of like now I'm the ENTS officer what am I going to do? Well, absolutely, <laughs> I must admit what am I going to do because <laughs> I tended to I kind of worked my way through college. I used yeah. to go to London for the summer and take as long as possible of a summer break, which could be five months, you know. Mm. Um, you know, I'd come back and, and to college at the very last possible registration day. And I did that in my end year as well, because, um, you know, I had to. I mean, it was like, I had to fund myself. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, when I came back, it was like I was straight into it, straight mm -hmm. into running gigs. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, and I probably began to, back, to book just some of the bands that had been kind of traditionally playing mm -hmm. in the campus. I mean, I. But um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Silly question. You were obviously majorly into your music, and when you were away in London, you were going seeing things, or oh, yeah. or, or, I, or not. Down the Marquee and the Lyceum on Sunday night, which used to do really eclectic bills. So you know, the, where, where did that come from in you? Like, who who had you an older brother or sister that was musically minded, or where did you pick you know, up that I had sort of? Sister, but neither was into music. Um, I mean, I suppose I grew up in a music household. You know, whether it was my sister was kind of. Um, you know, champion Irish dancer when, yeah. when I was a kid. Yeah. There's always, you know, I had to dance as well because she because she could dance. But so there's always like Irish music and mm. we did ballet. So there was always classical music and so on and so forth. My father was actually booking bands for just kind of a church hall in Thurles. Mm. Um, you know, kind of had, had a Friday night dance or something. You couldn't have dances in Tipperary on Saturday night because, you know, people couldn't go dancing before mass on Sunday morning. <laughs> but, um, then we became, we opened a dance hall for the church and um, the premier, which was kind of a major ballroom. But um, I mean, he died, this was not long after opening that. But I was going to, I mean, I was able to go, if I, as long as I kind of went to things that my parents sort of ran. My mother was big into Minternatier and used to run things as well. Mm -hmm. As long as I went to their events, I could go to things in Thomas 11, I was going to some music gigs. Wow. You know, I, I mean, you know, they were sort of, it was like, you know, kind of not necessarily Macron Affirma, that, but that sort yeah. of thing. Um, but like, yeah, I do remember kind of when I was maybe about 12, going and seeing the Dixies, which, you know, interestingly, of course, they, you know, they, they, they were so, they're synonymous with the Arcadia. Mm. Um, but they were fun, you know, you had Joe Mack and, yeah. interesting enough, uh, Joe's son, Aidan, was kind of probably the first punk band in Cork at Adolf Golf. So there was like, connections which are kind of only apparent you know in in hindsight sorry i'm just adolf golf that is, is brilliant was that the name it's hot did you say adolf, adolf golf did they come again poor aiden yes he was killed i think about 1980 he died in a car crash with his wife Anyway. Uh, where did your taste then become a little more alternative or or, or where did you yeah, start to get exposed to wider music? I remember like when I was, you know, when I was a kid, I was buying um, Eddie Cochran I loved. I think I probably bought, you know, something else when I was eight or nine or something. Yeah, I mean, like, I was just telling the story the other day, which I'd forgotten about, but when I was about eight, um, I was promised a dog, a pup, 
my mother's friend's dog was having pups and I was promised one. And then uh, my grandmother who lived with us intervened and said, no, you, you know, we can't have a dog with the house. And I was really disappointed. And for some reason I got some money and I bought a record as a, you know, to kind of compensation for the pup. It was poor compensation, but whatever. But I was kind of thinking, yeah, why was a record so important to be a single at that stage? I don't know, mm. you know. Um, I mean, we have records, it's records in, I have records going back like through many decades, you know, which belong to my parents of all shapes and sizes, you know, um, Shellac and, and before. Mm. So I suppose it was always music and yeah, I mean, I can't imagine a life like without it, but. Was there an, el was there an element then of when you, walls, you know? Was there an element then of landing to university? I mean, for me, there was, you know, like university opened up such a whole new world. I mean, first of all, you had that extra time to, to, to mosey around and to read things and to just be influenced by things that you mightn't have come across if you'd gone straight into a job. So was it, was it some of your, your undergraduate years that, that allowed you to widen your interests? I don't think so. I think they were there um, before that. I mean, when I was in about 11 or 12, I was part of a youth club in Thurles. Again, that was set up kind of as part of Minton Tira. For something to do on a Sunday night, you know, some of us kind of youngsters would tag along to our parents meeting in, in, in Minton Tira. There'd be kind of a social aspect to it. So one of the younger members, one of the younger senior members suggested that maybe we could have a night might have been like once a month or once every few weeks or something yeah. of our own, like the youngsters. And you're supposed to be 16, but because I was part of it anyway, I was allowed, you know, I was mm. like a 12 or whatever. I was uh, <laughs> a number. But um, so we used to, as long as we did something kind of culture, you know, we'd have a quiz, for example. <laughs> and then we could dance and we'd have like tea and biscuits on a, a dance. And we'd all bring records. <laughs> Somebody introduced me as something recently as a teacher at 14. No, we brought records and you put on a record. There's such a thing as a, mm. a DJ as such. Mm. You know, mm. That's a very modern concept. Although mm. um, you're, you're still... And, and we danced to them. So, you know, I was hearing other... I have, I, I remember having Bill Haley in the comments, the, in shark versions, uh, 78 other, um, and they getting broken. That was a problem with records mm. in those days. You know, they were breakable. But... And then somebody else would have some others. So well, so then to be into you know, the Beatles and the Stones and and you know Dave well, Dark Five, whatever. Well, so then did coming to court give you an opportunity to indulge your already existing tastes further and wider? And I suppose then I suppose where I'm looking for is when did you get it? I mean, it sounds like you were already in the I'll make things happen as a as a teen. So I did do. that just did that just continue then? I suppose it was, I mean, you know, before, like, you know, I remember sort of the the summer, spring before college, you know, I caught, for example, um, Pink Floyd kind of launching, you know, Dark Side of the Moon in Earl's Court. So, you know, we were catching kind of big gigs at that stage. When you, right. go, when you go to London to work, you know, you, you are, yeah. there are some so many other influences around. Yeah. But um, Bob Marley was another one. Um, so it's just expanding, really, in Cork. Yeah. I mean, so the Caribbean uh, influence would have been there in the early to mid-70s before yeah, you've... I suppose, I mean, you know, it's funny, like in retrospect, you kind of think, yeah, you're listening to Bluebeat and whatever yeah. years earlier. There's, you know, bands like Millie and My Boy, Lo My Boy Lollipop yeah. as a child, you know. Um, but, 
Yeah, just like I'm hearing, but a friend brought a Bob Marley record home to Black Manus and Thurlis, and that's where I was introduced to Marley. I also had friends like in college who, uh, you know, I shared with, like we shared a house, who would go to America for the summer. And that way I began to hear other music, maybe, you know, like Patti Smith, they'd come back with records, yeah. with Underground and Patti Smith and so on. Brilliant. So I suppose, yeah, just mixing, friends. Mm would have, we'd all have our own little collection. And back in those days, of course, you were listening to music and headphones, you know, and mm, you mm. were actually listening, I mean, I suppose listening to albums, it's quite a social thing. Mm. So you went to somebody's house, you brought a record or two with you, you know, mm. and, and you listened to their records mm. and so on. Mm. Um, so you mentioned about how there, there wasn't an ENS officer in UCC. So were you the first? No, uh, no, there was an ENS officer. There was like, no, a dance. I was elected dance officer. Dance <laughs> dance, officer. I think it was called dance officer. The dance officer ran the Sunday night dance and was expected yeah. to, you know, to make some money. Yeah. Um, there was an entertainment officer who ran kind of, who had a budget to run gigs. I think it was 400 euro front of pounds at the time mm. and um they could run like a few kind of concerts in the college like mm. um you know sort of traditional or you know folky concert whatever mm. the year i started because i came back to college so late the ensos had lost all the all, all his budget mm. by by kind of october so we <laughs> gave up and i just blown it and the, the college bar was losing money and college authorities were very keen to close it down. So I started, they were very, you know, they were, they accommodated me running gigs, lunchtimes, and I just, you know, several nights a week, like a couple of, you know, whatever, just pennies in. Mm. Uh, but it meant that people were going to the bar for their lunch. Mm. And, you know, so the bar started doing very well. Mm. And, um, but, so yeah, so because of that, you could work like with very small bands and, you know, slightly bigger bands for the Sunday night. Um, Kind of bands that were popular. I mean, Boomtown Ross was one, for example. Yeah. Um, there's a form from Limerick, there's Sleepy Hollow from Cork. Um, at the time, Dennis Desmond was just setting up. He was uh, he was an engineer in Hull at the time in England, and he was setting up doing agency. He was getting involved in music, and um, he started bringing a couple of bands from England. So I do remember, and I can't remember who they were having a couple of bands in the college as well, in, you know, mm. like on campus. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the on-campus gigs were in a sort of the coffee bar, I think it was. Mm. And um, just the know, basement the, of the science building. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think it was still there in, in my time down in the, so what is it? The old, No, it's not the O'Reilly oh, building. I can't remember what it's called now, but the science building, anyone that went to UCC will know the science building. And it was yeah. down and, in the basement. That's what it was, low ceiling, I think. And we had a little stage, I suppose, like, a, you know. Um, but yeah, that's where the Sunday night gig was. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, you had to finish in, you couldn't, you know, you, you couldn't run, you couldn't run in holiday time. Mm -hmm. And you, could, you couldn't run the last um, semester either. So I think we had to finish at Easter or something. Mm. <laughs> and for some reason, I suppose, I mean, maybe I, I just had a, feel for what I was doing and mm. the gigs went well and you know because I was there's lots of bands in town were asked me to run to kind of you know help them out with gigs as well mm. so I seem to have become known somehow and the Stardust Ballroom in town asked me to do a night for them a rock night for them when the college gigs closed like at Easter 
So the term after I did gigs and for that summer, I was doing a Friday night gig in the um, Stardust. Anyway, uh, that was meant to be like a student gig and for every student to rent, they were going to get some money. The union was going to get some money, but I mean, it was never very, you know, sometimes there was no students there seemingly. So anyway, um, so but because of that, the Arcadia, uh, Peter Pendergast uh, approached me and said, well, could you move the student gigs down to the Arcadia? So um, there was a bit of reluctance on some of the student, you know, the, the president's union who wasn't remotely into music or entertainment, thought it was quite frivolous. Um, but he gave me, he said, okay, you know, we'll give you up to Christmas and if, if, if it works. That meant I had about six weeks to make it work as we started, I think, on the 26th of November, 77. Oh, I went back for second week. They they asked me to go to go to you know for ends the second year. Um, they said, in fact, you know, you don't have to run for um, you know, you don't have to. You can just kind of accept. But mm -hmm. I insisted on. I'm going for anyway, and I got it. So, yeah. yes, um, we started twenty sixth of November, I think. Um, we had kind of. I tried when I was to begin with. I was trying various things. Um, we did, you know, like student gigs. Like, well, well, can I, can I, can I just hold you on that for a second? So we're we're going from the campus to the downtown campus is is where we're at at the moment. But just like in the campus bits, like, are you as the person putting on the gigs, like organizing the stage and the sound, and are you like, are, like, you know, what I mean, what is it, pay phones or how? Do, what's your little network of people that you have to to there get was, this? I, mean, I suppose I was very much, um, the, 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 you know, there was a student union. I suppose clique that had been there for a few years and they were I was just really just booking the bands at that stage and you know just dealing with the bands and that was it I mean I wasn't running the the, the you know I didn't have any other responsibilities really um so that changed totally when I went down to the Arcadia because um that was a totally different beast but and, also, did, and did you call it the downtown campus straight off the bat I did because I wanted to, I wanted a continuous campus, um, and because like a lot of the friends, like from the older bands, were saying, of course, you know, you're mad. This is never going to work. Uh, it's the wrong end of town. It's like it's a long walk out of town. It is really, you know. I mean, McCartan Street could be quite dull at night. Once you got past the not anymore these days it's the hot spot these days McCurtain Street's the yeah but so just for again for anyone who doesn't know Cork like we know Cork it's the Kent Station train station so up from McCurtain Street up over the hill Kent Station's on your right and you carry on before you get to the Skew Bridge um, on the left are now the Arcadia Apartments I I was primetime clothing company on Washington Street I used to work in and and they were like hip hop and skate and and there was an event running there like a weekend event of, of graffiti and skating and in the old Arcadia as it was before you know so I remember like a guy in a skateboard dropping off one of the balconies and and down onto a, onto a ramp and you know the whole place cheering and banging skateboards you know so that 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 was probably a little vibe of 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 some of what because I saw I've seen footage in the in the the the, the, the RTE documentary of of the arc back in, yeah. well, in those days. It was closed, I think, for about 10 years before we moved there. So I suppose, you know, the, I mean, around, around... The so Peter park, Prendergast was the owner and just wanted to get something up and running, was it? He was the owner. And um, I suppose he saw it, he saw it, well, he had a, he had a sort of a, a side, a sidekick, uh, Morgan, who was, I suppose, really the motivator there. I'd say he was. Um, who was kind of, you know, he was, he was kind of the 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 minder, the bouncer, the whatever. Mm. And um he probably thought well, here's an opportunity to get the 
ballroom going again. Mm. And of course, when we were doing... And that, sorry, that's what it had been was a ballroom. That's what it had been was a ballroom. It had been a ballroom. Yeah, I think it had been a very kind of successful ballroom. I mean, I remember hearing, and I didn't, unfortunately, before my time, and I missed them, but the Who had played there. Yeah. And um, I know Donovan played there. Um, oh, Pink Floyd played there. <laughs> you know, who'd have thought? I think that, that might have been the only gig in Ireland. Wow. So that was like in the 60s, I think. Yeah. I think at one stage there was Robin, the, the man who owned the Savoy, and a lot of other kind of shopping complexes. Um, Robin Power, he was running gigs there, I think maybe when he was a student, possibly. Mm. And uh, I think they might've been quite successful. Mm. Um, so, but that was like, you know, it had been close to at least 10 years when, um, you know, when we were approached about moving in there. And I presume when you were approached as well, you were like, okay, sounds reasonable, but like, who's bringing in all the gear? Who's like, or did, or was that literally all on your, because I mean, if it hadn't been open, then speakers, sound, desks, cables, lights. And the old stage there was like a very low little silver stage. Um, I think bands used to play sometimes up in the kind of the disco stage at the side as well. but so no, there's nothing like that there. I mean, um, I got Joe, I knew Joe Hurley because of course he worked at some of the, the bands that I was kind of friendly with. And so Joe um became involved with us, you know, he was going to be our sound man. Mm. And he also um, you know, obviously helped setting up like getting it you know, with the with the PA and that. We didn't have a house PA for a while. We didn't need one to begin with. I mean, people had, or did we have I can't remember. I mean, I remember eventually buying a PA, but um, Joe certainly got us um, packing cases from the the Ford factory. We we built a stage with that. Joe, Andy, my partner at the time, who, you know, are later married, and uh, and myself, you know, built it and I sprayed it black. And it looked fine, it looked good, you know, with a proper stage. Um, and can can I ask you a question as well, Alvera? Because it kind of feels like this whole thing, you know, how much of an influence was there around that that punk DIY ethic or this sense of, you know what, if you actually like we can't we can do this ourselves without needing, I don't know, like maybe you don't you don't I don't feel I'm professional or I know how to do this, but maybe I can just go and get the stuff and make it happen. Was there an element of that that fed into how you went about things or were you not even conscious of that? Well, you wasn't even conscious. It's just that there's something lacking. So you just do it, you know. Okay. Because that was a little bit of the spirit of the times, wasn't it? Where no one needs an invite anymore. You know, now you just you, now you just make it happen. Yeah, I mean, it has, it, it's, or is that or is that in retrospect people put that put that frame on it? I suppose, yeah. I mean, um, I mean, people probably always had done that. You know, <laughs> back then you didn't. There, there was no information about. I mean, you couldn't look up the internet and mm. find out. Mm. But how do I do X mm. or where can I buy X? Mm. You just um. But there still is a, an element of initiative and an element of, um, you know, what what are the obstacles? Let's overcome them until we get to. I mean, what was the goal was to have people inside in a place having fun listening to music? Yeah, I mean, you didn't think about obstacles, just thought about, OK, what needs to, what needs to happen to make something happen? Mm. Didn't think, oh, how do you know, is that mm. going to be a problem? Mm. Mm. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm not the kind of person who looks at problems. I tend to, yeah, I guess, you know. Mm. So brilliant. So you build a stage and and you, you and do you, is there any financial investment in this in any regard? Like, are you exposed if it doesn't work? Well, I mean, the college was, um, you know, 
No, I mean, obviously, the underwriter. Obviously, it didn't cost as much because, um, but it, it had been, you know, I had to make it work quite quickly. And the first few weeks, um, when we were doing it with about 700 people, which wasn't bad, I mean, for, you know, something that was, was a new initiative. Mm. But the, because the venue was so big, you needed at least a thousand people there to create a, a good atmosphere. And also, I, I had a very short term, short term to make it work or I was going to, you know, lose the backing of the student union. So um, I went to and I don't I can't I've no idea, you know, how I went about this either. But I went to court and got um, uh, a bar license for New Year's Eve and, and Stevens's night. I thought about if those two, if I get people in on those two nights and people will want bars, yeah. then um, you know, they will want to drink, then they'll come back. Yeah. So um, I have no idea even who did the bar. I think we just got the local pub. I mean, it wasn't uh, any it wasn't um, any financial benefit to us. Yeah. But we got the crowd. We did yeah. probably 1,500 people or something. Yeah. And both those nights. And they did come back. Obviously, you know, January is a dull night. It's a dull month for entertainment anyway. Mm. But um, obviously the Saturday nights did well enough to... Um, you know, for for the, for the college to stay on side with me and kind of think. And how many nights did you open in a week? How many nights did you open in a week? The very first week we did three nights, but we were paying for two nights. So we had we had the sort of monopoly on doing rock gigs. Um, the idea to begin with that I was going to do a, a kind of a, a covers band tonight on the Friday, which wouldn't compete with the Stardust uh, because they were doing that was. I'd started a rock night there on the Friday, and then we would do kind of the indie night on the Saturday. And it didn't, I mean, people just didn't have the funds to. Um, so we tried the second night in various ways, and very often they didn't work. Um, we'd had, you know, bigger bands in on during the week, you know, to begin with, I think. Or we had the occasional one like the Stranglers or Green Park in the Room, where they were kind of weeknight gigs. And, um, you know, they would draw a crowd on themselves, but you couldn't just do a gig week, you know, on a weeknight without there being, we tried them, but they didn't always work, you know. And so we had some, some really good bands on weeknights that we'd only do maybe 300 people. Mm. Um, so it became, I suppose, overall, like on an annual basis, we probably ran two nights a week mm. because there were always those weeks where you ran three or four nights, you know, mm. like, it depended like when Steve's night fell in New Year's Eve, fell in mm, Saturdays mm, and so on. So there were some nights that some weeks would probably run four gigs. Yeah. And, and it was almost like the first term back at college would be, you know, you could do Thursdays and things you'd have. You'd be 40 and skids, mm. those kind of bands maybe. Mm. You know, on Thursday night, you really were a full. I mean, it's not that I'm surprised because obviously, but but it's still, it's like it's a full on pr promoters gig. Like, um, oh, I hope yeah. I, I hope mean, you were getting some money out of it, were you? <laughs> There's no way it could be, um, you know, that they could give it, leave it to a student to run it. Mm. After so that's why I was there, like for the for the time. I also then after a while had to start bringing in bands because, um, you know, just to make sure that we had kind of good bands for a Friday, for sorry, for Saturday night. I would bring in bands and do kind of some kind of a mini college circuit at times where you would do maybe the Jordanstown Poly up in Coleraine mm. on the Thursday, Queen's University on the Friday, Trinity on the Saturday, on the, sorry, Coleraine on the, on the Wednesday, Queen's on the Thursday, Trinity on the Friday. 
and then work on the Saturday. Saturday. So that was a way of making sure that, um, you know, that we'd have bands of um, that, or sometimes they would just come in for, for Dublin and um, Cork. And mm. it was the Blue Moon. I brought bands in just for Cork in order, in order to get like the likes of Hotbeds, I suppose, mm. to review the bands from Cork, because again, trying to kind of create a presence like among the, the um, agents in the UK, um, it was always no matter who was playing because be, they'd be reviewed from Dublin. And Cork was often much the bigger gig. Mm. So it was kind of um, annoying that, um, you know, people who don't hear about Dublin maybe from the UK and not, mm. not Cork. Mm. And actually, come to think of it, you know, Bono was another person who, some of the youths used to go to over to Manchester or um, Liverpool at the weekends from Dublin. And um, I, there's a number of bands who came because, you know, Bonnie sent them or Bonnie told them to get in touch. Mm. And, heat and there was a, various, there's a kind of a, a, a little line of Manchester bands that, mm. um, that I brought in, like on the word of, on the recommendation. Yeah. You know, the, the gig was recommended by Bonnie to the, the bands. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because in later years, there was kind of a, a Manchester connection with Cork that sort of sparked off Sir Henry's. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Mike Pickering of... of um, of uh, the Hacienda uh, used to send boxes of records over to Greg and Shane when, when that club was in its early yeah, days. And, yeah. and I mean, that was my era, Sir Henry's in that kind of nineties club thing, I'm which was Sir Henry's because in the very early days, Dominic O'Keefe, who had, um, mm, mm. Who, who had, I suppose I knew from the Grand Parade the, Hotel. Stardust, mm. you know, because Henry's was part of the Stardust. Century. Right. Gotcha. Um, they, you know, so I knew from then, but, um, yeah, I was the opposition in the Arcadia, so the yeah. owners and Henry weren't very happy outside. Well, look, I think we've got a nice setup to the whole story. Where does it start to, um, well, not necessarily set up. I don't mean we'll be here for another four hours. You don't have to worry. But it's I'm loving this. Uh, thank you very much for for regaling me with the with the memories and piecing it together like this. So if you started in October, November '77, and you have a short time to make it work, and you're you're doing two, three nights a week, and where does it kind of where's the point that it's like, oh, okay, we've we've got something here, and and then that you get to start to play with it a little bit, and and ultimately over the course of its th four years, like you bring in some serious bands, and and obviously there's that whole U two thing, which I we need, you know, we should get to. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I can think of sometime in seventy eight. Um, you know, the, as I said, Dennis Devlin was bringing in bands at the time, so I was taking some bands from Dennis. That meant we had some kind of interesting. You know, there weren't always big bands, uh, English bands at the time. And he was but he was a Cork were, man as well, isn't he? Or he is a Cork he, man, Dennis. He'd gone to UCC as well, yeah. Mm, mm. Um, but he was living, he wasn't kind of full-time in music at the time. He was an engineer at the time in Hull. Um, but as he was bringing in bands, I was taking some from him. Somewhere along the line, we parted company and um, I started bringing in bands myself. Mm -hmm. um, but at that stage, I mean, I suppose... Like some of the bands I, were, I was bringing in were kind of from the fringes. Mm. So the Manchester bands, for example, or some of the Liverpool bands, uh, like, you know, Waheed and so on. Um, and then a, a, a lot of reggae bands who weren't coming from sort of the main agents in, in England. I was bringing bands in. Again, I suppose it was just developing a bit of reputation and bringing bands in from Jamaica direct. You know, so it's Prince Farai and Ashanti Roy of the Congress and so on. Um, but that's great because I'm, you know, sometimes the kind of needs must thing, you know, I mean, if I wasn't getting banned so easily from the major agents at the time, you look elsewhere and you get some interesting things, you know. 
In terms of the crowd, I mean, you did, uh, barring those couple of nights, you didn't have a license there. So I presume the pubs in the general uh, uh, Lower Glanmire Road and McCurtain Street area were delighted oh, with the Arcadia success. <laughs> the railway bar. Yeah, there's a funny, um, I just came across um, a funny press cutting, which was like the night we did the cure. People, because you only did a cure as I sort of, I brought them in for Trinity, for the Trinity Ball, which meant it wasn't a public gig in Dublin and with Cork. And I ran a bus down from Dublin, like for the, for the gig in Cork. But people came from everywhere. There's a press cutting, you know, about, I think um, the police for some reason turned up at handlebars. I think the police were maybe mobbed and, um, you know, they, for some reason, they arrested some people, but they were in court on the Monday morning and the judge threw it out of court. He said, look, you know, <laughs> they were either drunk or they weren't drunk, you know. And um, but the description is of, you know, people like they look like Mohiggins and, you know, Red Indians. I just I just saw I just saw the cure play in, in three arena last week and you know they've had such a, a lengthy and, yeah, and yeah. stellar career and uh you know to think that they played in Cork and the Ark back in those I suppose that yeah the late 70s and that early period of the band and you know some of those you know, like disintegration was was late 70s early 80s and is looked upon as you know the yeah, classic cure album 81 so hmm. uh, they were second last gig before wow. we closed um so yeah they they were sort of they had a name at the time I mean you know, now, of course, they'd have done twice the crowd, I suppose. Um, or, 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 and then some. Hmm? And, and then some. <laughs> the, the Cure would would have done more than twice the crowd, I would I think. There's Parky Queeve at this point, but um, uh, so 70, 78, you know, you've got something on your hands and um, yeah. And I mean, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're ostensibly doing a philosophy masters, um, but really you're a full-time promoter. I hope you're making, I hope you're making some money out of this out there, are you? Besides, besides like doing the gigs maybe twice a week, um, you know, I was also bringing bands in and touring them. Right. So you're, a, you're a full full promoter and get like, is that how you saw yourself? And were you, were you, were you loving life or were you just, was it just what's next? You know, were you conscious of what you were doing and thinking, well, God, no, this is great. I mean, I was never, that's the thing, you know, cause you're so busy mm. um, just going from week to week, essentially. Or like, you know, booking a few months ahead, maybe a couple of months ahead, mm. but kind of, you know, also doing the, the, the kind of micro stuff, like, you know, and because um, you're doing everything, you know, you've got posters. You've got, mm. I didn't have, I mean, it's interesting that like <laughs> Trinity, you know, with their kind of, kind of, you know, one gig a week during Turnton, they had a, a whole setup, like the full-time, you know, ends officer they had, you know, somebody doing publicity, et cetera, et cetera, you know. In Cork, it was me and my Andy, my partner. So, um, yeah, so there's an awful lot of of multitasking, I suppose, going on. You know, I did. Did what you get? Was it student union paying you, or did you like? Did you make some money through this period? Well, I got. I mean, I was on a little. <laughs> I was on a little salary. Yeah. Hmm. Well, hopefully, because it sounds like a lot of work, and it sounds as well like you know you created a scene that didn't exist in Cork otherwise. Is that? You know, it seems like you know. In in retrospect, it's. I mean, I liked that. I because I sort of. You know, my own teenage years or early teenage years were spent in ballrooms going to dances. Yeah. I liked that sort of social aspect. Um, and I kind of wanted to recreate that in the, you know, in uh, at the campus, in the Arcadia, as opposed to just sort of, you know, going to a gig to see a band and it being a sort of that being the main focus. Mm. Um, the wonderful thing was in the, you know, in the at the campus, it didn't really matter who was playing. You know, I mean, if you had a big, big name band, you drew extra people. Mm. 
but generally you had a crowd who came because it was a place to go. I mean, that's mm. what most of the, mm. the people would say, it was just a place to go. Mm. And in the last couple of years, I think I've met people. There was a culture night um, mm. in Cork in 2020, did mm. um, a, 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 a commemorative night for the camp mm. of the camp's album. Mm. And I went down to, I didn't even know it was on. I mean, like it, it had nothing to do with me, the organization of it. Mm. But um, when I heard about it, I went down to it. And, you know, I met people and I met people who kind of, who I, you know, they had been regulars at the Arcadia. I mean, I didn't know them because they were just kids at the time, but say, you know, they met the partner. Um, mm. you know, their life, their, it, it, I suppose like, because it, it was going for three and a half years, that was a major chunk of a lot of teenagers' lives, mm. you know? Mm. Mm. And who were those big bands? I mean, UB40, I know, played. What was the, like, so here's what I... Let me tell you what I know of the U2 thing, is that, so they played in the Dandelion Market in Dublin, and, and they always had a thing about them that suggested that they maybe had a bit more about them, or they just had something about them that marked them out a little bit. But in Dublin, they'd be under a lot of scrutiny, and there'd be a lot of kind of people standing back and kind of, you know, kind of like, uh, whereas they, they could come to Cork and people cared less and got into it more and they were able to sort of develop outside of maybe the hometown spotlight they would have been under in Dublin in a different way and really grew a, an affinity with the Cork audience and played I think 10 or 11 times and, and ended up stealing their whole sound crew Joe O'Hurley and a lot of them and and um, the first kind of regular support band there was Asylum and three of the Asylum guys went on to work with you too they were also they were regular support band but they were also um, my stage hands when mm. they weren't playing mm. So, um, you know, Sammy and Tom Mullally, mm. and um, there's one other one that went on, Paul Tiernan was a singer, mm. um, but they went to work with, with um, you, because Sammy is still there. Mm. Um, yeah, you two played their first gig there at um, supporting XCC. Mm. And of course, you know, XCC had a good crowd, so they played their first gig to over a thousand people. That was October, I think, uh, 78. Mm. And then I brought them back again. I mean, I knew Paul McGuinness, I suppose, and you knew what to expect, like, you know, it was going to be something professional. So um, my the next time they played was supporting the only ones at the only one's second gig in three months. And I knew the only ones were going to go very well. So that was another good mm. support for you too. Mm. Um, that was in the end of May. Um, 79 and then after that they sort of you know we did double bills with U2 DC9 a quite kind of another bill with U2 DC9 the Virgin Prunes so they played like a good number of those gigs where they they were sort of the same level bands really I suppose mm. DC9 would have been considered um you know and the Virgin Prunes are friends and um and then they began to I suppose play um you know, a headliner, I think they probably had a couple of supports, you know, like Nanny Tax and somebody else from Cork, or they had, um, yeah, I mean, they, they kind of event, but then suddenly, of course, they had the record out and they played a headliner where they, that Michael Jason was supporting, but they were sort of, you know, they had kind of surpassed the just being, uh, people were there for the night, some of them actually came to see you too, particularly that night. That mm. was December um, 81. Wow. They no, were... They... December 80, of course, yeah, because we closed in, in May 81. 
you know, they were just on the cusp of but, but I mean XTC and UB40 and the Cimarons and and then obviously there's there's Micro Disney with Cal Coughlin and uh, you know the non-attacks and Bugger. we did two nights at Rory we did loads and loads of like really good bands you know yeah, yeah. wow I mean, uh, amazing and I, as much as possible I gave local band supports mm. so even if like there was two bands playing you know from out of town mm. um I would stick you know, non attacks or Micro Disney or Urban Blitz or one of those on as a, a third support. Mm. Um, you know, so they all, they all, everybody got paid. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't understand this pay to play thing that happened years later. Mm. It just seemed really strange, you know. Mm. Even like in recent years, kind of more recent years, when I was working with bands who had a few records out and, you know, uh, had a reputation, by the time you'd hire a van to go to Cork and so on, you were paid, but you were losing money because everything, the cost had gone up. I mean, what some of the, I suppose, young Dublin bands were doing was coming down with the train. They kind of used the, you know, back line that was in Cork mm. and they had at the venue. They'd, by the time, the Arcadia wouldn't close. I mean, I, by the time he loaded out after gigs and that, it could be four or five in the morning. And the first train was probably at half six or something. So mm. people could go back, um, go back on the train. Uh, in terms of the the reggae aspect, which was, I guess, uh, a new thing for Cork, was that you that 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 spearheaded that or that brought that? And because I know when 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 I landed in Cork in the early nineties, there was this sort of reggae aspect that was a was a whole new world to me, like the Donkey's Ears Bar, which I ended up working in. And um, there's another bar that I, I I forget the name along Patrick's Key that I remember going in, and the my philosophy tutor was playing like um, NWA and and reggae records in the back. And for a kid coming from Dundalk in the early nineties, this was this was sort of like yeah, you know, I didn't know what this was. But so Cork had this affinity for different music and for you know for black music for want of a better way of saying it. And it, I think it fed into the whole Sir Henry's thing too. And just how there was an openness and an, and an, and an appetite for, um, you know, for, for, for black music, which effectively kind of house music was. Um, and yeah, I, mean, I suppose, I mean, I, I found, I found the people in Cork very open to music, um, you know, kind of quite, quite open to new sounds, but essentially the, the Simmons had played McCroom in, I suppose, 77. Mountain Dew. Yeah, support, like one of the support bands on the, um, and so they came in, I think Dennis Stesman brought them in after that, maybe once or twice. Eventually I brought them in a couple of times, but, you know, you could, I mean, there obviously was an appetite for reggae because the Simmons went down brilliantly um, mm. the first time I put them on in the, at, at the campus. And I mean, as I said, I had, because I was kind of booking bands on the fringes at times, you know, that weren't with major agencies because there was competition for them, like the men, mm. the male age, the, you know, the male promoter sent mm. it to um, I was bringing bands in from Jamaica. So I had a good number of bands, that good number of reggae bands that um, mm. that came in. Um, the Gladiators, you know, there's a right. lot. Um, yeah. Some of them were coming, some of them were second generation coming from the UK. But... I mean, there was one young Grenadian band uh, called Icarus. I mean, I just, you know, just show you how popular reggae was now and how open people were to it because they were totally unknown, but I could still do a nine-day tour with them around, you know, Kilkenny and Sligo and different places where you couldn't put on a, a, an indie band, you know? Let me ask you then, 
sort of like not necessarily you know what was the environment of cork when you began like did 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 what you were doing in the arc change the social scene in cork did you spawn rivals did it did it did a scene grow like when it finished by the time you finished from when you started were things different on the ground or 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 was it all you know because i know i know that the end of the arc came with post the stardust uh, uh fire in dublin which which killed a number of people and yeah. was a huge scandal and caused insurance premiums to rocket and it just made it unviable so like from from start to finish of the arc what had it done for you know alternative music in cork or or a music scene in cork yeah, I, well i think it did um you know because people will tell me that it, it sort of influenced at least a couple of generations of bands you know mm. like even the bands like the sultans of ping mm. and the frank waters they would have mm. They would sort of seem a direct, directly influenced by. There was a bunch of bands, it seems, because I went to London in at the beginning of '83, the mm. end of '82. Um, so I kind of lost touch. I mean, I was more aware of the bands that moved to London also, like the Nine Attacks and um, Microdies and so on. But um, it's I think there's a lot of bands, um, a lot of the kind of young bands in the arcade, the the um, or at the campus, I mean, because uh, the campus was a specific nights. Mm. Um, they kind of filtered into a lot of different bands in Cork. Mm. So there was an awful lot of bands around in, um, I think, in the 80s. Mm. Uh, that Cy Burning yeah. Embers, Cypress Mine, yeah. Bell Sonic Sound. They're the names I knew of, and I knew like Sean O'Neill and, and Jim O'Mahony, and I knew Philip, I, I knew Philip O'Connell as well from 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 and non attacks. Philip, I mean, <laughs> Philip then was running gigs. I mm. think for a number of years in Cork, and he was yep. bringing all the reggae bands because he yep. the reggae bands would go well, you know. Yeah, yeah, the Yum Yum Club up on up on Barrack Street. Um, mm. but uh, Burning Embers, Cypress Mine, uh, yeah. uh, Micro Disney were the kind of probably post Arcadia bands. And of course, on from Cypress Mine, uh, Kieran Tuma was was our kind of house photographer, you know, from the time he was when I think he was about fourteen at the time, you know, mm. or fifteen. He was in the intercert when he started doing. Mm. Photographs. Mm. So we have a lot of nice, you know, good photographs from the and stump, I guess. Stump also. Uh stump, well, yeah, my uh, me Mick Lynch, me mm, features the late great stump. Um, you know, the other tax went on too. So it was interesting that like of the because there's so many kind of young bands around and they were sort of really central to the scene. They were coming every week, and you know, I just was fond of them. They were kind of, you know, they were. It's just that was one thing that was nice about the venue was kind of getting to know people and yeah. and you know and so Dave Fanning had started um you know 2FM had started and the rock show with Dave Fanning was playing um you know um that you know sort of demo sorry yes yes and um but we had no there's nowhere in Cork to record and like you know the idea of going to Dublin to record and pay studio rates but studios are very expensive back then. Mm. So I kind of hit on the idea of just getting a, bringing a studio, a recording studio in from a mobile. I got it in Belfast, it was supposed to be kind of, you know, the bee's knees with um, stones I'd played, had used it and so on. And brought that in and just put on a night of, of kind of the support bands mm -hmm. and recorded it. And that and was caught on campus? That that was, <laughs> that became caught on the campus, yeah. Uh, that was recorded in uh, 30th, 30th of August, 1980. Um, I, I don't know what the idea was at the time, except to maybe do, you know, to do a demo tapes or something. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, it became a record. And again, you know, it was very, very much DIY because there's no way of knowing, you know, how to do how to do a record. I mean, I used the kind of entirely the wrong kind of um, 
company told me that they could do sleeves, you know, they did posters. They didn't know how to get them. I, had, I was amused, amused years later for people, you know, and I heard people calling it, that had a great gate for a sleeve. No, it didn't. It had a sleeve that wouldn't close. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't joined up. Yeah. But um, anyway, you know, <laughs> but there was nowhere to get information. So, yeah. it just, yeah. um, you know. It sounds amazing. It sounds like this amazing petri dish of sort of 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 mixing of of peoples and and from all over, from north side and south side, and uh, and and a lot of court people being exposed to stuff that they mightn't have otherwise that they had a huge appetite for that they learned from and and developed and and built on and and did other things with. And that's what I find interesting is that sort of connection down through the through the eras of of Cork musically and 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 to see where where the the stepping stones and the building blocks were. Um, and they're not. It's not that they're all clear. Where they are, they they mix and they merge and they match. Um, but mean, funny enough, this year there was a young band called Pity Happy. Yes, a, yes. A, a documentary. They'd approached me. I was ill at the time. I couldn't actually take part in it. But it was sweet. I mean, to me, I suppose it kind of. I'm kind of intrigued, really, that you know, all these years later, that people kind of remember it. That you know, at the time, you're just you're just doing a gig. Mm. And you don't even keep posters from when we to the you know you don't mm. keep anything. I mean, mm. I have all I have a lot of records from the um, you know the, the 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 numbers attendance and all of that. That was all kept. <laughs> Anything to comply with the tax man, but there was no other kind of. We didn't keep posters and things. Yeah. You know? Well, that's it. It's the documenting of it, and that's why I'm very grateful for your chat today, Elvira. I know people ask you regularly about this, and maybe it does surprise you as to why. But it is it it is the history. You know, it is the it is the stories yeah, yeah. and the peoples. Uh, and there were some, you know, Finbar Donnelly, uh, also the late great, and you know, there were some amazing figures and characters in there. Pretty happy, or a, or a Mayfield punk band who very much are influenced, or, or at least, or at least were cured curious about what that was what was it who were these people and um and that's helped inspire them to a degree and they they seem to be a great bunch i think it was a punk a documentary on punk music in cork is what they did and ricky deneen is is making music with was it a bad boy foolish yeah i put i, I put a few of their tracks onto the new the reissue onto the 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 um cd just to kind of again it ties in with the um mm. you know the history it's kind of it's nice to see people still going, and of course, you know, Sean is still creating, and unfortunately, yeah. Carl died this year, but he was yes. very creative right up to the end with his telefish. Yes. Yeah, yeah, with Jack Knife Lee, um, that uh, Sean O'Hagan and Cal Coughlin of of Micro Disney. Um, uh, I'm 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 conscious I've had a lot of your time, and I'm very grateful again. Let me just ask you though, as a as a finishing point, then. So we mentioned as to the reasons for for the arc um, finishing. Um, I don't know what carried on the baton after that. I mean, you said you went to London in '83, so presumably have some knowledge of what happened in Cork after. Yeah, I did. I did a spate of gigs in the Savoy uh, in '81. Um, in the kind of autumn of 81. We had good bands, Tear of Explodes, Max Romeo, Batumbi, Horizonte, various, you know, but mm. it just didn't work. I mean, the venue wasn't right. It was mainly mm. seated. The mm. get in was problematic because you had to hoist gear up. Mm. And mm. Um, anyway, I can't, <laughs> it certainly wasn't. I wasn't backed. I mean, this is my own, mm. my own venture. And um, yeah, I was kind of pretty broke by the end of it. Mm. Um, so I then went to London and um, I, I had a venue. I was asked to go over to London and do gigs in um, in the Brixton Ritzy in, in in London. Uh, so it was owned by Andy, my husband's brother, 
who um, had, you know, opened up this sort of art cinema and was trying to do, kind of wanted a little live element again with it as well. Um, and so I worked there for 10 years and I did various gigs there, you know, whether it was John Cooper Clark or John Cale or Nico, mm. or, uh, a lot of Irish, you know, Christy Moore, Freddie yeah. uh, White, Mary Coughlin and so on. Mm. It wasn't the kind of place that you could do, um, you know, kind of big rock gigs because we had we, we were one screen cinema, mm. um, seated, of course, as well. But also uh, we had to be very careful of the screen. So mm. we kind of really had to yeah. you know, yeah, be careful who you book. Mm-hmm. Be careful who you book that they don't put their foot through the screen. <laughs> well, I mean, like, you know, I remember the Jason Mary Chain really wanted to play there, yeah. but I couldn't book them because, you know, they had a reputation at the time for kind of rights and, and chaos. And of course, you know, the screen, people would be out of work for weeks, you know. Yeah, so. yeah. And Ricus Records, did you find that over there or, or what? No, I found what well, the Ricus Records came from kind of the campus. And but um, I had the next band I signed was um, um, oh Big South from Belfast, and um, they began to we got some like great great reviews from the UK. We got you know lots of sounds, single of the week, single of the year, enemy and so on. You know, doing major coming to Ireland to get get some information on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we all kind of thought, well, we should be over there, really, you know. Mm. So they came with me to, to London. And ah. I could have the Blades, you know, the Blades were based in Dublin, but mm. I was releasing them in London and so mm. on. And um, so, yeah, we just kind of took off from there. Mm. Um, it did, I was kind of, I suppose, a lot of the 90s, I was pretty ill, so mm. I just let it drop. Mm. Um, we revived it for the Blades in, mm. at the Millennium. Mm. I just I'm working on CDs, so that was the beginning of reviving it and doing CDs. Mm. Now we're back to vinyl. I just want to throw in a couple of scattergun things just at the finish, just to just to have them within this conversation. I suppose you two popped up at Lark by the Lee in the mid eighties, uh, unexpectedly to the delight of all who were there, as a bit of a thank you to Cork because of how important Cork was. A lot of people say they, you know, they they sort of um, Cork gave them the freedom to become the band they wanted to become. Maybe that's too strong of a statement, but there was something about what they did in Cork in the arc through those years that really helped them as a band. And they never forgot it. Um, and then, of course, they played a sold out Parky Queef. You know. Yeah, but they had the stage, they had the, you know, they had, I suppose, they, you know, they had the, they had the setup and there was people to play to. Mm. You know, they had the sort of professional setup mm. and they had an audience. Mm. Um, and I the edge once saying the first time they ever saw um, uh, a queue for them was at, at the, at the Arcadia, at the campus. Mm. Uh, people queuing to see them, you know. Mm. Mm. I mean, like the, the the dandelion would have been a tiny gig. I mean, yeah. the big park they're playing to, you yeah. know, a thousand plus. Yeah. So um, and, and people that were perhaps less reserved and less less of less judgmental. <laughs> I think so. I mean, I, I often some of the bands that I booked at times. I mean, I saw them in London. I kind of thought, oh, did I do the right thing? Because you know, they're um, you know just kind of you know, crowds critical. I suppose mm. a critical audience. Mm. Mm. open to music and that was the wonderful thing about it because there's uh, a, there's there's I mean you're a monster woman I'm I'm not a monster man um but right. there's a generosity of spirit I think in monster generally but particularly in Cork it's what I recognized when I came to Cork something lovely something warm something welcoming you know as long as you're not arriving with airs and graces you'll be welcomed in and people aren't afraid to like you or or to or to give you energy give you spirit back so there's something about Cork and I think the arc really captured it over that period and and a lot of the credit is 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 to you on that Elvera as the the driving force of it uh, 
where was Andy's role in it? As you, you, were, you, were you very much a duo, or or do you want to take all the credit? <laughs> oh God, no! I mean, you know, I don't know. Like, could I have done without Andy? He did all the, you know. <laughs> but Andy looked after all the, the logistics. Um, mm. You know, back then, remember, we didn't have things like um, you know walkie-talkies or that. Mm. <laughs> There's a lot of running around, physical gigs. Mm. Running gigs was mm. very physical because mm. you had to be everywhere. But Andy would do. You know, I used to let Andy look after the stage, for example. Yeah. Um, you know, deal with the. I would book the bands. I was, yeah. I suppose, I was probably what you call the. You know, nowadays yeah. the creative director. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I would book it, book the bands, and uh, but I did all the kind of the practical stuff, like uh, looked after the coffee bar because we had a nice little kind of coffee bar and so on. Um, but you know, also you know, there's a lot of like we drove up and down. <laughs> we would. I was living in Dublin the last two years of the um, mm-hmm. of the campus, and you know, there's. I, I, there's a lot of physical work to do mm. plus I never like we bought a PA um, because to just make sure we had a PA for the venue yeah. and once I thought oh, I must actually learn how to use it I thought well no I've enough to do you know <laughs> did it cause any scandal like did you have any hassle from the cops were you always trying to clear people out who were like drinking naggins in the corner or or to the bishops <laughs> were the bishops on the pulpit given out about it or I suppose I might have thought more part of them but um, we never had any trouble with the cops I mean like when I hear back when I see Certain bands talking about the trouble with the authorities because they were punk. Never said anything, except for the the kind of the 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 few people who were arrested at the cure gig, and in fact the judge threw it out and said that you know said mm. to the cops, "Look, they were either they were either drunk or they weren't drunk." You know. I mean, I presume occasionally there's the odd row inside or outside, or or was it not a rowdy place? I had a great uh, security team. We, I booked. Um, we had. Um, army guys doing the security for us and they knew I mean they were from the same they were from the kind of North Cork maybe as well whatever wherever they were from but they yeah. they knew the a lot of the, <laughs> the heads and but they were the kind of I remember once myself going into a potential row and just telling them you know <laughs> kind of you're out if you and so there was never any fear there's no, yeah. never anything of like anybody having yeah. a knife or anything like nothing like that I mean Cork I, I do remember kind of having trouble on the street, not at the gig, yeah. but I do remember like a couple of times, you know, kind of as a boot by element, you know. Mm, mm. I remember being chased myself once by guys mm. when I was going to college. But um, I don't remember any trouble whatsoever in the, at the... We didn't ever have trouble as such. Mm. And you, me- you, and you mentioned... And you mentioned you were a little bit of the sort of the rivals for for this, well, I suppose the Grand Parade Hotel, was it? Or was it the Stardust? But did other nights spring up that were trying to do similar to what you did? Did it spawn copycat stuff? No, it's funny. Um, there was, in fact, like it was MCD, did the um, Texas Midnight Runners, for example, in City Hall. Um, <laughs> the review in Hotness of that was funny because I had a band called The Distractions in from, I think, Manchester. Who could band? Not terribly well known, I suppose. You know, they'd be, you know, critically acclaimed. But um, the review said, you know, Dexys had all the gear because that night we probably hadn't a lot of PA. Maybe it was after that I bought a PA mm. or the for the venue mm. um, because Dexys had, you know, or MCD had hired all the PA for the for the Dexys gig. But we had all the crowd. Dexys had all the PA, but we had all the crowd. <laughs> So really, I don't think anybody, you know, you could do Krista Berg or something in competition, you yeah. know, be different sort of audience. Yeah. Yes. But um, P- 
people didn't tend to run against us now. <laughs> yes. Um, Paul Morley famously covered you two in the arc for NME. You mentioned Hot Press earlier and, you know, did 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 you get the respect in the end? Did did the likes of the Hot Press come and, and cover bands in Cork? You know, did the arc plant the flag for Cork as a, as a live music, a hotbed of well, live I mean, music? You know, well, the Hot Press were kind of very... Um, you know, very respectful. You know, they knew it was. Um, you know, there's a lot and lot to mention in Hotbits about mm-hmm. it being the, 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 kind of the best gig, like the best big gig in Ireland. And that I, there was a nice little comment which I came across. I was just doing research for the fans that I'm doing, um, which uh, you know from Tom Robinson writing to Hotbits, saying how much he enjoyed his tour of Ireland, particularly the the campus in Cork. You know, mm-hmm. um, so no, there was always kind of a thing from mm-hmm. very early on. Mm. respected but somehow again you know things outside don't get marginalized don't they Mm, absolutely uh, I would just say to anyone that has followed this, the conversation this far that there is a great documentary on the arc uh, uh, online that's findable and Colm O'Callaghan who does a brilliant uh, music um, uh, blog uh, the Blackpool Sentinel has a number of stories about uh, the Arcadia and and other aspects of, of Cork music history but you've just given us a generous amount of your time Elvira Butler and I'm very grateful thank you very much for more Red FM podcasts go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.